Thank you very much for that. That was beautiful. I'd like to say a big thank you for those that have been praying for me. A week ago, I really struggled just to stand. Uh, a week and a half ago, the Lord saw fit to uh, knock my back out of whack. And if I had been, been uh, you know, lifting weights or if I fell off the roof or if I got hit by a truck, you know, there's a logical explanation, but it just went. And so um, the Lord's in control of these things. And uh, many of you rallied to, to prayer. Thank you so much for praying for me. One of our church ladies uh, gave me some ointment for my back. And I want to thank you for that. That helped as well. In fact, I think my, it smelled so nice, my, my wife liked to be a little closer to me. So that, that was good. Um, I've, I've learned in life that it's not so much what happens to you, it's how you respond and what you do with it. And I've tried to learn the Lord's lessons down through the years, whether it's lack of money or lack of health or lack of friends or whatever. And we tend to hurt and we cry out to God, but it's how we respond. You see, that's the key in these things. And if we don't overreact and don't go nuts and... Um, just stay calm before the Lord. I think that that's half the battle. But my back is doing much better, and I want to thank you again for your prayers. But, you know, um, I've given my body to God so many times since the 70s when I was in Bible college. And uh, the truth of Romans chapter 12, I hope your Bible is open. We're going to be looking at that. Romans chapter 12, and it talks about presenting your body to God. And I did that for the very first time back in 1978. And I've done it, I don't know, innumerable times since. But um, it's a nice feeling that God owns the body, and I don't have to worry. Now, I take care of the body as best I can. Don't go playing on a freeway, nothing like that. But um, when God allows some suffering, there's a reason for it. Um, so, that kind of brings me to the subject today. The Lord laid this on my heart early in the week, and um, I've been busy preparing it for you, but the subject today is learning and discerning the will of God for your life. Learning and discerning the will of God for your life. Now, I recently read a humorous story about a man who was playing hide-and-seek with his little three-year-old daughter, Shelley. And they were having fun. They were upstairs. And so uh, Daddy was doing the counting and Shelly was doing the hiding. And so Shelly decided to hide in the hall closet. And so Daddy comes around and, and he's looking and looking and he says, Where's Shelly? And the closet door opened a few inches and this little girl's arm sticks out and a finger points down the hall. <laughs> um... You know, when, when we try and find out what God's will for our lives is, sometimes it feels like we're playing hide-and-seek with God. Do you know what I'm referring to? Sometimes you just don't always know what the Lord would have you to do. Well, I'm happy to announce that God is not the one hiding in the closet. <laughs> he doesn't play those games with us. And um, we're going to... Uh, look at some principles today. I'm going to put a few things on the overhead for you. And we're going to learn and discern the will of God. So let's begin with a word of prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you do have a divine plan for our lives. And oh, how foolish we are when we run from you because often we are the ones who run and hide in the closet. Adam sure did that. He ran and hid in the bushes away from you when all you wanted to do was love him and forgive his sin. Lord, help us to realize that you're our very best friend. Help us to realize the truth of that song that the young people just sang, that you're all we need. And truly, beside you, there is no one else to go to. Lord, we thank you that you are in this place today, and we ask that you would help us to learn how to find your perfect will. Help us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, how many things in life can you think of that are absolutely perfect? Perfect, perfect, perfect. How many can you think of? Well, off the top of your head, probably not too many. But I want you to see here in chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 2, the end of verse 2, the will of God, I want you to see that it's called perfect. You see that? It says right there, perfect will of God. Now, what does that expression mean, the will of God? Whatever it is, it's perfect. That's what it says here. It's perfect. So now we just got to figure out what that is. What is the will of God? What do we mean when we say the will of God? Does that mean that God has like a last will and testament? Is that what it means? Dearly beloved? No. The will of God simply means the desires and the wishes of God. So we sort of could say the, the perfect the, the, the perfect wishes and desires of God. We could, we could almost say that, but we just call it the will of God. Now, I think you'll understand what I mean when I say this, that us, we, our wishes are not always perfect. Our desires are often flawed. We make mistakes. Oh, glory. It's, it would be a miracle to get through a day and not make some kind of mistake. We just make them. We specialize in them, don't we? But apparently, God's will is absolutely perfect. Um, why is that? How is it that he, he is so perfect? And the reason, I think, is given, you needn't turn there, but it's in the Old Testament book of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God speaks and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That means this, that God knows all about right and wrong. He knows what's right, he knows what's wrong. He knows what's almost right, he knows what's almost wrong. God knows what works and God knows what doesn't work. There is nothing that God does not know. He knows everything there is to know and God makes no mistakes. Boy, oh boy, that sounds good to me. The first thing we learn about the will of God is that it's perfect. It's no mistake. But not only is God's will perfect, but number two... It's not missing any parts either. We often have parts missing. We make a plan and we say, ooh, I forgot about this, and ooh, I forgot about that. We go to the store with a list and come back, and then afterwards we say, you know, when I was at the store, I should have picked up one of these. Oh, I was at the store and I should have. Boy, hadn't, how many of us have done that? Sometimes I'll tell you what happens. We go upstairs and we say, now what did I come upstairs for? Yeah, 
Yeah, that, if it hasn't happened, it will happen numerous times. Turn to the right in your Bible. Go to the book of Colossians. So after Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. This, this little book called Colossians, it's written to the church at Colossae. And go to chapter 4. It's a wonderful little book here. Chapter 4 of Colossians, and I'd like you to see verse 12. Paul writes about this guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras was probably the pastor of the church at Colossae, and he was visiting Paul in Rome. And so Paul wrote about him, says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Watch this, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Isn't that something? Isn't it nice when someone comes up to you and say, hey, I prayed for you today. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. Why don't you do it to someone else? Pray for them and then go up to them and tell them, I prayed for you today. Now, if they ask you, what did you pray for? Well, if they don't know the Lord, you might want to say, I, I prayed that you'd come to know God in a wonderful way. That's good. That's good news. Maybe if they have some sickness or financial need or some other... You could just pray for them, or maybe they need a blessing at work. You pray for them for that. But it's great to be able to go up to someone and say, I prayed for you today. I hope that you have a number of people, a number of people on your prayer list every day. And so this guy Epaphras was praying for his church. So he says here, uh, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect, there's that word perfect again, and complete. And there's the word, complete, in all the will of God. There are no missing parts to the will of God. That means this, that God has taken into account every place you'll ever be in life. God has taken into account every person you'll ever meet in life. He's taken into account every experience you'll ever experience in life. He's taken into account everything that you'll ever see with your eyes or everything you'll ever hear with your ears or every thought you'll ever think with your brain. Every feeling you'll ever feel with your heart. Everything, everything has been taken into account. There are no missing parts because it's absolutely complete. We're talking about a will of God that's not only perfect, but it's absolutely complete. Not only are we talking about a will of God that's perfect and complete, but furthermore, doing the will of God brings us in the closest relationship possible with Jesus Christ. And yes, he is alive. He's here in the church today. Let's go back to the gospel of Mark. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And let's see if we can find here the last verse. Mark chapter 3 and verse 35. Now, I'd like to solicit your help. I'd like you to read this out loud with me. We'll read it together as a church out loud. Verse 35, Mark chapter 3, verse 35. If, if you don't have a Bible, look off someone beside you maybe. And let's read these words out loud together. Here we go. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Wow. That's close. You do the will of God, and that'll bring you into a close, working, intimate relationship with God Almighty. His name is Jesus Christ. Wow, that's good news. You say, I can, I can be that close with God. I didn't know I could be that close with God. You can be that close with God 
How? By doing the will of God. The will of God, you see, number one, is perfect, isn't it? No mistakes whatsoever. Number two, it's complete. It takes into account everything. Number three, it will bring you closer to God than you ever thought possible. But number four, something else about God's perfect will, and I want you to notice this, it's in Romans chapter 8. So turn to the right, get past uh, Luke and John and Acts, and go to Romans again, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Now when a man or woman comes to a point in their life where they realize that before God they're a sinner, that they've committed sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It could be murder, it could be bank robbery, it could be stealing a pencil from work. It could be a bitterness or anger at, at someone. It doesn't matter what the sin is. When a man or woman comes to a place in his or her life where they realize, hey, I really have committed sin before God, and they understand that God says, you better do something because there's a penalty on sin, and it's a place called hell. Now, that's what hell is all about. Some people think that hell is full of demons with pitchforks poking at people, and that's kind of a crazy idea. That's not a biblical idea. But hell is a real place where people go after they die because they haven't done anything about their sin. And Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh who died for our sins on the cross. That's what his death was all about. He paid the, the divine uh, payment, the, the, uh, the ultimate, uh, what uh, divine justice required, Jesus paid. It's like he paid a debt we couldn't pay. We owed it, but we couldn't pay. It was far, far beyond what we could pay. So he came and paid it for us. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the good news. That's why we call it the good news, the gospel. That Jesus died for us according to the scriptures and he was dead and buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He's alive today. You know, I got some loved ones that died. They're not alive today. Uh, in the news, I saw um, this morning that um, a very famous politician uh, in the United States, uh, John Cain, McCain, did I say it right? McCain. McCain, yeah. You see, when you get behind the pulpit, all of a sudden uh, it gets a little nervy. So, uh, yeah, McCain, thank you. He just passed away. I think he was 81 or something like that. And he was a hero, a wartime hero and a, and a great politician. And many, many people around the world are paying uh, homage to him. But he's dead. He's not coming back. He's dead. Jesus died, but he came back. You say, how could, how could that be? Well, when you're God... There's a few things you can do that the rest of us can't. And what God did was he broke through the bars of death. You see, he's alive today, dead, buried, and rose again the third day. Praise the Lord. That's good news. We have a risen Savior, folks. He's in the world today. Amen to that. But when a man or woman comes to a point in his or her spiritual life and they realize that I'm a sinner and there's a place called hell, I got to do something about this sin. And they realize that Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life for that man, that woman. And so by faith, they repent of their sin. They receive Jesus Christ as personal savior. They get born again. There is a new thing that happens in their life. 
Now, if you're here today and you're born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a time in your life that you didn't know the Lord. You came to the Lord in prayer. You took him at his word. He saved you. And you had a new life begin within you. You had new desires. The old desires seemed to pass away. At least many of them did. You had new desires. You, you wanted to go to church. You wanted to get to know Jesus more. You wanted to read the Bible. And maybe family and friends said, what's wrong with you? What's gotten into you? Well, that's what happens when a person gets born again. I didn't make that term up. I didn't invent it. Jesus did. He came on earth and he said, except ye be born again, right? Born again. He said that to uh, Nicodemus, John chapter three. And he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's anyone, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. That means to die and go to heaven. It's a gift. It's not something you work for. I grew up in a church, mainline denominational church, and I was kind of taught that if you're good enough, you'll get to heaven. God is like a big heavenly accountant. You know the picture of the accountant with the little green hat and the big machine with the punch buttons and the big arm, and there he is putting in all your good works, and then he's got to put in all your bad stuff you've done, and then he adds it all up, and this tape comes out and he rips it off, and if there's more good than bad, you get to go to heaven, and if there's more bad than good, then you have to go to hell and so on. And that's just not the truth because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us, every single human being has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so God knew this. So what he did was he came and paid the price for us. And now he offers the free gift of eternal life, but it comes in a person. It doesn't come in church attendance. It doesn't come in baptism. It doesn't come in good works. It comes in a person, Jesus Christ. And it says in the Bible, whoso hath the Son, whosoever hath the Son, hath life. Whosoever hath not the Son of God, hath not life. That means if you have Jesus Christ, you have heaven, eternal life. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have heaven and eternal life. That's the simple gospel, honest truth of the matter. Now, when you do get born again, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of us. Now, that's exciting. He's the one who gives us new desires and helps us. Oh, it's wonderful to have the Holy Spirit come, and he will never leave you. He has made a promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So you needn't worry that he's going to go. He, he sealed you unto the day of redemption. So you're good. So you can relax and live for the Lord. But uh, the Holy Spirit, he wants to pray for you. Now, how is he going to pray? Your Bible open at Romans chapter 8. Look, please, at verse 27. Now, this is a reference here. And he, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit back there in verse 26. You see, there's a, the Spirit, capital S, also help with our infirmities, for we know not uh, what we should pray for. Now, verse 27, and he, that's the Holy Spirit, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. Here's the Holy Spirit praying for us, according to the will of God. See that? So that's something that you have to understand, is that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit prays, Jesus prays as well. He's in heaven interceding for us. That's great. You've got two uh, in your corner right there. And how are they going to pray? They're going to pray for you according to God's will. And so if something that you're wanting is not part of God's will, the Holy Spirit's not going to pray for it, and Jesus is not going to pray for it. And if you do manage to get it, it's going to hurt you. 
So you should stay away from anything that's not God's perfect will. God's perfect will will be the greatest blessing in your life. You will be the happiest. You will sleep great at night. It doesn't mean you're going to be a multimillionaire. You don't need that. God's going to look after you. You'll be fine. But the thing is, wow, there's no life like it. To, to know the Lord and to live in His will. It's absolutely wonderful. Let me ask you this. How would you, listen to me, how would you like to be able to rise above making mistakes? Isn't that a great thought? Never again make a mistake. That means when you walk into the grocery store and you pick something off the shelf, you're not going to get home and find, oh, there's a bug in it. You're not going to pick something and bring it home and find, oh, I bought the wrong one. Now that happens when you go out shopping. You want four of a certain item, and so you just go one, two, three, four. Little did you know the shopper before you looked and put them back on the shelf in the wrong order. You got maybe three of what you wanted and one of what you didn't want. You made a mistake. How would you like to never make mistakes again? Now, I know I'm stretching a point, but I do want to emphasize this. It is possible to live so much in the will of God that we rise above fault and error. Back in 1969, the Disney Company, Walt Disney Company, they put out a movie, and it was called The Computer That Wore Tennis Shoes. Has anyone ever heard of that movie? A uh, few people? All right, let me do a survey. How many have never heard the movie The Computer That Wore Tennis Shoes? Wow, I'm in really a different planet. Man. Well, anyhow, I, I remember as a kid watching it there back in the 69, and uh, boy, it was just the greatest thing, we thought. The story is about this young teenager named Dexter, and he goes to this high school, and the high school is poor. They don't have much money, but they want to get a computer. And so this uh, guy in town donates a computer, but he's a bit of a crime boss. He donates this great big computer, the old tape drives. You know those great big old IBM machines that take up a whole room, you remember? He donates one to the school. And so uh, one day the computer breaks down and Dexter, I guess it's one night, breaks down. Dexter says, I'll fix it. And so he goes in, he's working away and there's a storm brewing and there's thunder and lightning and there's a lightning strike. It strikes the school and there's Dexter with his hands in the computer and the electricity goes through the wires, through the computer, right through Dexter's hands and arms and he gets blown to, to the other side of the room. And when he wakes up, he realizes something strange, something has happened. The mind of the computer, the brain of the computer, through the electricity, came into him. And so now he's like a, a living, walking computer. Ask him anything. He's got the answer. Ask him any kind of calculation. He can calculate it just like that. And uh, he absolutely wasn't making mistakes. And it was a hilarious film. I won't tell you anything more about it. You probably shouldn't watch it anyhow, so just forget I told you about that, all right? But uh, the point is, a lot of people think, man, would I ever love to have a perfect memory? Oh, man, would I ever love to be able to not make mistakes, to go through life and say the right thing and not get my face slapped? There was some other crazy movie about a guy who kept dying and coming back to life and he was learning not to make the mistakes that he made, you know, each successive time over and over and over again until he got that one day down perfect. Some crazy movie about that. Now, those are just movies, folks. But I'm here to tell you this. God has a perfect will for your life, whether you know it or not. He loves you intimately, and he has a plan for your life, an absolute perfect plan that encompasses every detail you could possibly think of. It's perfect. It's complete. It's without flaw. 
and he wants to give it to you. And if you will live that life, you will rise above making incredible mistakes. You will save yourself heartache. You will be brought into the closest relationship with the Lord. It's exciting. I believe that with all my heart. Now, you say, well, what do we do? Where do we start? How do we go about this? How do we know the perfect will for our lives? The first thing we must decide, the first thing before we go any further, the first thing we must decide is that God's will is best. God's will is best, and boy, I want to live in that will. Whatever his wishes are, whatever his plan is, his will, I want to know it. I want it for my life. That has to be the first decision. If that is not made, then nothing else is going to matter. So that's point number one, is you must decide this first. And you do it by faith, not by sight. Well, God, show me everything you you have in mind about my life, and then I'll decide God's not going to do it. It doesn't work that way. You have to, by faith, come to him and say, Lord, I am willing to trust my life into your hands, knowing that you love me, care for me, and that you only want the best for me. And when you, by faith, pray like that, That excites God. He wants that. He will answer that prayer. So that's the first decision. Secondly, we must follow a simple but effective plan. Now, I'm going to outline for you up on the screen here two main areas that God's will covers. And I'm going to give you a few suggestions with each one. Now, you might want to write these things down. If you do, I'm trying to make it very simple for you. But there are two types. There are two areas. There's there's two main ideas when we talk about the will of God. Let's see. Well, that's the title. That's the title of the message there. Learning and discerning. All right. Here we go. Number one, if you're a note taker, number one is his revealed will. His revealed will. Now, what do we mean by his revealed will? We mean this. Things which are specifically spelled out in the Bible. Uh, You say like what? Well, let me give you a few specifics, a few examples here. Um, Number one, read the Bible. You say, read the Bible. Is that part of God's will for my life? That is part of God's will for your life. If you're here today and you're not reading the Bible, I can tell you you're not in God's perfect will. I can tell you that authoritatively. I put up there a couple of scriptures, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Joshua 1.8. Uh, 1 Peter 2.2. 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now that's just two of many scriptures that tell us over and over Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible. Uh, Another one here is the giving of thanks to God. Now, I dare say that that's something that we don't hardly do enough of. Folks, the only time we really seem to give God thanks is when some big wonderful thing happens. And we forget about the zillion of other things that God does on our behalf. And I'll tell you something else. When things happen to you that don't seem very pleasant, that's when you and I need to give thanks to God. You notice this thing up here, this cane. I'm giving thanks to God every day, not for the cane, for my bad back. I stand here today, and as I stand here, I'm in pain. You know, about 30, 31 years ago, my back went out on me, 
And ever since that day, this is no word of, of a lie, this is, and I'm not stretching it, this is the truth. Every single day, 365 days a year, all my waking hours, I have back pain. I do. Um, most of the time it's mild, but sometimes it gets like last Sunday. It was really rough, I'm telling you. And uh, I made sure that, um, uh, I think it was last Sunday, wasn't it, Brother Howard? Last Sunday I had you sit over here. Yeah, because I, I had trouble. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the Bible and hymn book and stand up at the same time. So I had him sit there with me and help me out. But now this Sunday, it's feeling a lot better. Still hurts, mind you. It's still a bit of a struggle to get up and down. Last Sunday, I couldn't get on my knees to pray. I had to sit and pray. This Sunday, I can manage to get down on my knees. I can get back up. But I tell you what I've given a lot of is I've given a lot of thanks. Thanks to God. You know, my back could have been broken permanently. It wasn't. So far, it only seems to be a temporary affliction. But more than that, I know that God does these things for us to see what we're going to do with them. It's a test. And so I thanked him for the test. And I'm, trying to, I'm still trying to pass the test successfully. But giving of thanks is very important. And that scripture up there, in everything give thanks. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you're not giving thanks, you're not in the perfect will of God. Here's another one. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. That's Old Testament and New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. Children, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. Thou mayest live long upon the earth. That's a promise from God. You say, well, does it apply to me? I'm growing up. Boy, it sure does apply to you. There are a lot of adults today who mistreat their parents. They mistreat their parents with words or maybe with a slap or something or just with neglect and a cold shoulder. And that's wrong. You see, God makes a, a promise. It's a challenge for some. You, know, you don't know how I was brought up. My, my dad hated me and my mom despised me. And my, my, my mom, she would put me in a corner and my dad would feed me with a slingshot. I mean, it was just terrible. I had a horrible upbringing. And uh, you're probably right. So you really need to do this by faith. But here's the point. If you will do it, God says, if you will do it, I will bless you for it. You want me to bless you? Then honor your parents. Say, how do I do that? Stop speaking evil of them. Start speaking good of them. My parents are both gone. I'm an orphan now. They died many, many years ago. I take a nice picture of them and I put them up on a wall. They weren't perfect parents, but I'll let you in on a little secret. They had a miserable little kid. And me. You know. And I try to honor my parents and their memory and I try and speak well of them. I'm happy with the parents God gave me. I really am. I wish I had been a better son. Hmm? But I, I love my parents, and I, I can still honor them, and so can you. You say, well, I don't even know who my parents were. That's fine. God does. And wherever your mother is, wherever your father is, you can still give thanks to God for them. See? See how it can be done? So um, these are just to come see if we have another one there. Yeah, we do. Look at that. Be prepared to put up with a, a little bit of suffering once in a while. Oh, let's uh, look at this one together. Uh, you see, I put C, S-E-E. -E. That means let's go there. So near the end of the Bible, turn to the right. Before you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. After the book of James, you'll find 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter and chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 
And let's see, where are we? Verse 17. Verse 17. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. That means you live for Jesus, and at work you don't get the promotion. You're suffering. You live for Jesus, and someone calls you names or speaks ill of you. You're suffering. You live for Jesus, maybe someone will slap you across one cheek. Ooh, what should you do? Well, you could offer them the other cheek, that's for sure. But, you know, be prepared to put up with a little suffering. Something that I learned many years ago. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, Back in our church in Ottawa, and we're talking now 30 years ago, something like that. There was a little boy in that church that was a probably worse kid than I was when I was his age, which is hard to believe. But he was a naughty little fellow. And sometimes he would physically hurt my children. Well, as a parent, how do you feel when some kid knocks your, your son or daughter down on the ground or does something like that? Don't you kind of feel, ooh, and that's how I felt. But uh, did you know the pastor's not allowed to go around throttling children? None of us are. And so um, the, the child really wasn't that big of a bully, but was just rough. He was a rough kid. And so what I said to my children is, the next time that he pushes you, I'm going to take you out to Dairy Queen and buy you an ice cream cone. How about that? And my kids said, wow, I'll be right back. I think they tried to uh, egg him on to uh, give them a push or a hit or something like that. But it became fun because uh, my kids really weren't afraid anymore because they knew they'd be rewarded. And um, you know what happens when someone mistreats you? Your heavenly father watches. And if you handle it right, your heavenly father's going to bless you. So that's why you need to be prepared to put up with a little suffering once in a while. That's, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of suffering. That's good. Uh, let's see, we got one more verse there. Uh, chapter 4. That's it. Chapter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That's comforting. That's good to know. Okay, now, we've been talking here about God's revealed will. See that word up there? And the first word is specifics. There are specifics in God's word that tells us what to do. But also, we have something else, and we have something called standards. We have standards in the Bible. Now, standards are scriptures that help to keep us back from worldliness and help to keep us closer to God. These are standards. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us to abstain from fornication. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication. So if you don't know what fornication is, go home and look it up in the dictionary. But whatever it is, you're not supposed to be part of it. You're supposed to stay away from it, abstain, have no part to do with fornication. So why would God say that? It's because there's a curse on that. And it's because there are bad things that happen to people that get involved with fornication. And so the best thing that God can do for us as children is to give us a standard to live by. 
And so that's one of his revealed standards. Now, another one is in Proverbs 29:24, basically telling us don't go along with crooked things. Crooked things are crooked people. Don't get involved with, with schemes and, and things that are going to maybe promise you wealth, but you know, they're not honest. Well, we have to lie here and there, but boy, look at all the money we're going to get. Don't go along with these things. It's, uh, it's not God's way. When, when God blesses, you'll know, and he'll look after you. Um, and also, number three, um, is learn to be content with what you have. The devil tries to make you uncontent. Ladies, he'll try and make you uncontent with your husband. Husbands, he'll try to make you uncontent with your wives. Parents, he'll try to make you uncontent with your children. And children, he'll try to make you uncontent with your parents. The devil will try to make you uncontent with your job. Your job. You mean this same job that you ask people, please pray for me that I get a job, please. And then you came in and said, hallelujah, God answered prayer. I got a job. Hallelujah, I've got a job. And six months later, you're saying that miserable job. Oh boy, that miserable boss. They don't pay me half what I'm worth. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that job. Be content with such things as ye have, for he has promised, he said, and he's promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You don't have to have anything to do with the get-rich-quick schemes of this world. If you go to bingo to make money, forget it. If you go to Vegas to make money, forget it. If you go to the ticket wicket to buy lotto tickets, forget it. You don't need any of that. In fact, you dishonor your heavenly father. If you get involved with get-rich-quick stuff, now there's nothing wrong with making a profit on legitimate business. There's nothing wrong with making a profit off labor. But if you're going to do one of these quick, you know, here, here's a pool, sports pool or something, everyone, you know, puts in money, and someone's going to win the whole pot. That means 20 people put in money, and 19 people have to lose in order for you to win. And there's just something not right about that. You know, look to God to supply the needs. There are certain things we ought to abstain from, I think. And that ought to be one of them up there, somewhere on the list. But uh, don't go along with uh, crooked things. Learn to be content with things you've got. Now, those are just a few of the standards that God gives us to live by in the Bible. And he does that for our blessing and our protection. So now we've talked briefly about his revealed will. These are things revealed in the Bible. They're in there. You can find them and turn to chapter and verse. But now we come to his concealed will. This is the one that most people are interested in. This is the one where we want to get our answers. His concealed will. What does that mean, his concealed will? Well, these are things that, that are not uh, specifically spelled out in the Bible. And uh, what might that include? Well, we got a list. Let's fill in some blanks. What could the concealed will of God uh, include? It could be maybe the job. What job should I take? I've got company A and company B. They're both offering me a job. Which one should I take? Don't necessarily take the one who offers you more money. There are people in this church that have a testimony that they took company B with less money to find out six months later company A went out of business. Don't Put it all on the money. Don't make that mistake. God knows. He doesn't make mistakes. That's why you want to know God's will. Uh, what else? How about uh, where should I live? Um, what house should I buy? Or should I buy a house? Who should I marry? Boy, a lot of young people are just very concerned over this one, right? Um, what church should I join? 
What ministry should I do? What car should I buy? What college should I go to? This and many more things are part of God's concealed will. We call it concealed because you can't see it. it you can't go to a chapter and verse and say, ah, I should go to British Columbia Baptist College. Ah, you see, here, this chapter and verse, I should go to Grace Baptist Church in Surrey. There is no verse that says that. But yet God has a perfect will for your life. And it involves every detail you can possibly think of. It's his concealed will. Well, how do we get around this one? When you're faced with a decision to make, I suggest you follow these guidelines. I want to give you some guidelines. Here we go. A. <laughs> you need to read the Bible. If you're coming and asking, oh, pray for me that I know uh, what job to take, who to marry. Pray for me that I know I should know. I got, I got two beautiful girls. I, I, I can only marry one. So who should I marry? Uh, my first piece of advice is, are you reading your Bible? Oh, no, I'm not much of a Bible reader. Then I'm not much of an advice giver. Because unless you're reading your Bible, I mean substantially reading your Bible, you know these people are just kind of flip the thing open and let their finger fall on a... Oh, yeah, what does that mean? Who knows? Okay, well, that's it. I, did you read your Bible? I certainly did. <laughs> no, you didn't. You want to be reading your Bible for at least an hour a day. Is that humanly possible? Ever watch a movie two hours in length? Yeah. You never even got up to go to the bathroom. Oh, I might miss something. Right? Yeah. yeah, you can read the Bible for one hour. Say, oh, but I can hardly see. I can't read. Then you get, you get the Bible on audio and you can get it free off the internet and you sit down and you listen to the Bible being read for an hour a day. You can do that. You know, our dear sister Janet Sykes, it would scare you how many hours and hours she listens to the Bible every single day. It's like her full-time job. She lives in the Bible. Boy, if you want to know anything about Bible listening, you need to see Janet Sykes after church. She'll give you a few pointers. But you need to be a, a Bible reader, is what we're saying. You need to get the Word of God in you, just like Joshua 1.8 says. What else? What else? All right? B, spend extra time in prayer, asking God to lead you and to make it very clear to you. Jeremiah 33.3 is a promise. God says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Matthew 7.7, 7, Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given you. In 1 John 5.14, it says that we ask according to his will. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So it's very important that you cry out in prayer. Uh, number C, letter C, give plenty of thought to uh, open and close doors before you. Don't just go by circumstance. Oh, I need a job. And this person in Timbuktu, which by the way is over in Africa someplace. One of these days I'd love to visit Timbuktu. I've been hearing a lot about it. Oh, this person in Timbuktu called me on the phone and said, got a job for you, come right away. Here I come. Wait a minute, time out. Just because someone invited you to go to a job doesn't mean that that's God's will for your life. Well, Give plenty of thought to these doors. Try to resist your first impulses or your first desires and try to be objective to all the possibilities. Ask questions. Write things down. Proverbs 4.26 tells us that... Um, you know, I've forgotten what Proverbs 4.26... Write that down. Look that one up after. That's a good one. I put that in my notes, so you need that one. I'm sure you do. 
Let's move on quickly. I'm embarrassed now. Here, get the honest opinion of your parents, your family, your pastor. Get the honest opinion. Now, Proverbs here tells us that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And there's wisdom too, by the way. And lastly here, don't be in a rush. Do not be in a rush. Someone comes to you and says, I'll give you this time-limited offer. and You can save all this money. You can make all this money, but I need to know your answer in five minutes. Then you have to tell them, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Why? Why? Because I need to go and pray about it. And they say, oh, I don't want someone like you. I want someone I can fool. So forget it. I'll go fool someone else. And what has God done? He saved you from getting fooled. The world is full of scams. Scam, scam, scam. How many have ever gotten a phone call saying that you owe money to the government or some cruise or, yeah, okay, you get the idea. How about the, the Nigerian 419 letters? I am Madame Susu or Prince Susu and we got $7 million we want to give you. These are scam scams, but there's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're, the world is full of scammers. They, they're good at it too. And boy, we need God's provision. So don't be in a rush. In Colossians 3.15, it talks about the peace that God can give you. There is a certain peace, and you may have A, B, or C, and you've got to choose one. As you, as you go through these steps, A, B, C, D, and E, as you go through them carefully, the Holy Spirit will guide you. So God's concealed will, He will reveal it if you follow steps like this. Now, I suggest to you, folks, that... Um, Finding and doing the perfect will of God is an adventure. It is lots of fun, finding and doing the perfect will of God. Let me tell you a little story. Back in 1803, America was still a vast and largely unexplored uh, nation. President Thomas Jefferson wanted to find the most direct and practical water communication across the continent. He was looking for a series of waterways by which they could sail ships for the purposes of business. Captain Meriwether Lewis accepted the challenge and invited his good friend, Second Lieutenant William Clark, to accompany him. Now, please understand, this is what, 200 plus years ago, and they had no idea if they'd even come back alive from this. It was really a trip to outer space to go across the nation. There were all kinds of hostiles, and at any time they could die. And so this was a journey fraught with danger. It was incredible how dangerous this was, but men like Lewis and Clark stepped up to bat. Now, this was going to bring them into uncharted territory. They would have no contact with anyone back home. They'd had no cell phones. They couldn't send any telegrams. Nothing, folks. Now, when Lewis went and invited his friend Clark to go with him, here was Clark's response, because Clark knew that they could die doing this. Clark said these words, I will cheerfully join you and partake of the dangers, the difficulties and fatigues, and I anticipate the honors and rewards of such an enterprise along with many difficulties. But, my friend, I do assure you that no man lives with whom I would prefer to undertake such a trip as yourself. Now, the adventure took those men two years, and it made them famous. They did come back. They became famous. I suggest to you this. Finding the will of God for your life is an exciting adventure. And I encourage you with all my heart to do it. But it all begins with deciding that God's will is best. And wanting that for your life. 
Can I ask you this question? Everyone here today, can I ask you this simple question? Have you come to a point in your Christian life where you realize that God's perfect will is better than anything you could ever do with your life? Have you come to a point of realizing that yet? And if you have, then the question is, what should we do? And the answer was in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's all stand to our feet now for prayer.